Well, hello again and a yet another happy new year to my wonderful listeners. And thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Glow West podcast, where we're here to chat about sex, sexuality and the body. I'm your host, Dr. Caroline West. And as always, I'm delighted to be part of the Tortoise Shack Network, where you can find all sorts of content on politics, culture, society, trans issues and, of course, my favourite topics, sex. If you like what we do, please do support us at patreon.com forward slash tortoise as it really does help to keep the mics on or pop over to Apple and rate and review. You can also drop me a DM on Twitter or Instagram at Glow West Podcast. So as we mentioned on Monday in the episode with Scotty, since it's 2021, we are starting the year off with a bang. And yes, we do mean that pun on this show. So we are going to make this a year of sex positivity. This is the second of two episodes this week to help you start the year off right. So Monday looked at sexual confidence and today we're going to talk about your relationship with substances and sex because this is something that affects quite a lot of us, whether we want to admit that or not. So my guest today is the perfect person to talk about this. My guest is Ralph Rasmussen. He's a fetish man, a sober activist and creator of Real Clear Fetish, which is a sober alternative to fetish life. He is three years and three months sober. He's currently based in London, but originally from Denmark, and he also holds the title of Mr. Leather Denmark 2008 and Mr. Leather Europe 2008. Ralph, thank you so much for joining me today. Happy New Year. Happy New Year and thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Um, Congratulations on your sober journey. That's quite a long period of time. Wow. That's, um, I think, something that maybe some of us are thinking about at the moment, given a lot of people might be doing dry January. I don't know. Do you do, is that a Dan- Danish thing as well? I think it's a global thing, really, yeah. the dry January thing. And, and trust me, if you had asked me four years ago if I would ever have four years or three years without alcohol, I would have gone, you're nuts. <laughs> yeah. How how would I function? How would I how would I go out? How would I live my life without being able to have a pint at the pub? Absolutely. Um, now I'm just like, has it been three and a, three years and three months? Where did it go? <laughs> and, and well, time flies when you're living absolutely authentically. So yeah. Well, and this is something we might see, you know, some media articles or whatever about. Oh, dry January. You can reassess your health. You can reassess your relationship with alcohol or other substances. But you often don't see a lot of conversations about sex involved in that because we somehow as a society like to pretend that sex isn't part of our health or our general well-being. But so we're going to kind of smash that silence here today. So mm-hmm. your whole work is all around um, being sober and how great sober sex can be. But obviously you had a point in your life where you're like, I'm done, like this is where I need to kind of move on. So do you mind telling us a little bit about how your journey towards sober sex kind of began? Well, uh, it's easier to kind of like, I moved to London in 2009. Um, I was fresh off the boat, if you could say. Um, And the whole like drug taking scene was not really something I'd been, um, had much experience with in Denmark. And when you come to London, it's very normalized. It's a little bit like, uh, I, I think, one of the first house parties I walked into uh, here in London, instead of having a, a welcome aperitif in a, in a glass, it was a glass plate in the middle of the room with cocaine on it. Okay. Which is fine. That's and it was all very safe. As well, but yeah. It, it was. <laughs> uh, but you, it, it was that type of crowd. But it was it was very friendly and it was just kind of normalized. And, and I, I'm... I can say from now already is I'm not out to demonize drugs or alcohol, anything like that. It's, I'm only going to talk about my experience and where it brought me. Um, but it was just kind of, I was 24 impressionable, blah, blah, blah. As, as, as you, uh, that all kind of story. Um, and that was, that was fine. And it's just kind of just slowly changed. Um, I think for me, what made the change and the accessibility to sex and drugs was when smartphones got too smart and they created apps. Um, and especially, like, I'm not going to mention the names because I know some of the apps do try to actively work with helping with uh, people who get into situations with drug taking or alcohol. Some apps are not so good at that and they kind of ignore the problem. Um, 
but it it just kind of just spiraled from there. And then I also I've also met drug dealers that use the apps as their contact. Okay, yeah. Um, I can see that. So f- for for me, all of a sudden, it became much less than going out clubbing one night, taking a pill and dancing a bit. And then it turned into maybe three, four days just on the app scrolling, jumping from house to house to house. Um, and at the end of it, it just destroyed my mental health. Ended in psychosis. Um, I ended up in hospital three times. Um, I think my first psychosis was kind of where the cat got out of the bag because the psychosis ended up with me having my mom on the phone at two in the morning, raving like a madman. Um, it's a great way to tell your mom you have a drug problem. Yeah, not very <laughs> subtle, but uh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, but she, she's had um, experiences with alcoholism with a previous partners, so she knew what a psychosis sounded like. Okay, yeah. So she was fairly calm, not calm afterwards, but in the conversation she was calm. I remember that quite vividly. Um, and she's been great, but there's definitely some trust that had to be built afterwards, after that conversation. But it, that first psychosis was kind of the, the tipping point, kind of, okay, I need to do something. It was not when I stopped, but it was the tipping point. A lot of people in recovery talk about their rock bottom. That was my rock bottom. I had several after that. But that was the one who kind of set me on the course. Yeah, and being aware of okay, something needs to change, but maybe you just weren't quite ready yet. So I addressed it a year earlier in a in a sexual health clinic, and this was back in 2015. So chem, the term chemsex, um, as quoted by uh, David Stewart here in London. Um, wasn't really that widespread and I think a lot of the clinics didn't didn't know what to do with it kind of like they're seeing an influx of gay men coming in with drug problems but not in the same way they were used to this was a bit more salacious or darker if you could say it's also to do with the type of drugs it was crystal meth it was uh, GHB and methadrone Mm. kind of that holy trinity if you could say Um, and I had a doctor, and this is not a criticism of that doctor, but it was just a lack of information at the time. He kind of went, well, you're only using it the weekend, so come again in two months and see how you feel. Yeah, and that I mean, was that's not, not okay. <laughs> but no, again, and, don't know, but that, when you don't know, and yeah. it's, it's, it kind of boils down to if you think there's a problem, then there is a problem. It doesn't have how much you use and how often you use. If you feel that it is hurting you, then there is an issue. It, that's a really good point. Yeah, like you don't have to be, I think people think of an addict as someone either like either homeless or they have to, you know, have a line every 15 minutes or, or have a drink every day or have a drink the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning. But that's not, that's not the case. Like you said, it's if you're having distress around it, that's where it comes in even if it's twice a month or like you're saying every weekend but you might be spending those five days during the week on come on come on like let's get to Friday and I can you know lose my shit all over the weekend and then do it all over again but that's that's just weekend drinking that's okay according to some doctors but that yeah it's absolutely not so no yeah. it's it's I, I remember very because of the chemsex and and the drug taking being so connected to my sex drive. So you can imagine if you get horny and you want to have sex, but then because your sex drive is so connected to the drug taking, you want drugs as well. And that took me a long time to split those two. I literally had to stop having sex for a while. I had to stop doing my fetish life as well because I would put either rubber or lever on and that would be a trigger. Okay. And that's an yeah. awful feeling. It's like, it's devastating for someone who loves his fetish life having to go, actually, I can't do this right now because it's too dangerous for me. Yeah, And it, like, it does go hand in hand. If you think of our, our culture, it's like sex, drugs, rock and roll. You, mm. you know, that's, 
and you and you'd look back at like oh well rock stars in the seventies sex drugs rock and roll you know and and gay scene sex drug rock and roll and it, like it literally goes hand in hand with all that but then we're not really taking that apart and going okay but why why are sex and drugs so interconnected and is it something about that I suppose maybe instant gratification or a cover up of like authenticity as well like it's very surface level sex and drugs kind of sometimes and you're not really necessarily being your true self either when you're having sex sometimes or when you're on drugs sometimes or when you're you know a few points in so yeah did you find that was like you weren't actually having satisfying sex even though your world was sex and drugs I would go home after a weekend of running around to different house parties and I wouldn't even had had climax because of course drugs prevents that you can't have climax um so I would actually go home more frustrated than anything um and the lack of sleep and uh it's it it was not a nice feeling really and also no I I like having sex I like having sex with multiple partners and so on but you also get to a point where it can also be damaging for your mental health because it becomes so impersonal it's it's that lack of connection. If you have sober sex and you have like an intense connection with someone, that's the best sex you can have. In drug taking, as you said, it's, it's surface level. It's, it's, it's horny and it can be like in the porn films and all that because all of your inhibitions have gone. But is it really what you want at the end of the day? Is it, yeah, you can do that for a while. But at some point, you will crave a connection. You crave a conversation with someone after the sex instead of just like wham, bam, and then out the door and then on to the next place. Yeah, and, and I don't think you're, you're maybe at in not seeing yourself as fully human as well, but you're not seeing others as fully human. You're seeing them as a set of gentles or any holds a goal kind of thing because it's just yeah. they're, they're fitting that need for you. So it's kind of using them to satisfy your desires but not really engaging in I suppose an honest exchange of um I don't know like power personality body fluids all that kind of thing all the fun stuff that makes sex what what it is so absolutely and and I I, I remember some of the better sessions I've had and when I was still using was the ones where there was also breaks and conversations and a bit of a laugh about it instead of that unpersonal it's like when is the next line coming when is the next shot when is the next injection um so it's it's those ring much more better for me as flashbacks as as something good and i'm not saying all the chem sex i had was bad but there was definitely a lot of shit in there yeah 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 and and quality no quantity doesn't always mean quality sometimes so absolutely not yeah so then when when you were taking those steps to to get sober how did you start thinking about sex then in that case was it an immediate kind of consideration or you were just focused on mental and physical health straight away or was sex always kind of part of that (laughs) process I think I had a period at least with the fetish stuff I had to step away for almost two years in those two years, if I had had a relapse, it had to do with the fetish stuff and the frustration of not being able to do it. But I didn't do any fetish stuff without having a relapse, if you could say. It took two years to disconnect them. I don't say that to make people nervous of trying sober and disconnecting it, but it can take that long. And you have to prepare to put in the work to split those two. Um, you may do it in six months. Great. Um, I've been doing it for nine years, so it took a bit longer to split them. I remember first time. Yeah, I remember it really vividly. I was on my way to Backstreet, which is one of the oldest fetish bars here in London. And I was in full lever and I was sitting and groping my leg. And I was just like, I'm actually enjoying this and not what I'm going to be doing in it, not the drug taking or anything. I was just enjoying the sensation of wearing a piece of clothing, 
that started me on my fetish journey. I'm not going to say how long ago, <laughs> but it, it was such a vivid thing. And I was just like, oh, my God, I've disconnected it. I, I can actually enjoy this now again, slowly. Brilliant. Um, but no, the sex was not forefront to start with because I literally couldn't. It was too much. At the end, uh, the type of porn I was watching was around drug taking. So I had to stop watching that kind of porn. That was difficult. Um, so there was definitely a period, maybe like six months, where I didn't didn't even think of sex. And if I did, it was horrible flashbacks to something I didn't want to do. I think you're raising a really good point there. You know, when people say when, when you're deciding to get sober, your world can often become small. You know, you might have to cut out friends that you would have, well, probably not really friends if you're really looking at it honestly. They were just drinking partners or drug partners, not really anything, any friendship beyond those activities. And maybe when it comes to sex as well, people who knew if they were hanging out with you, you could be an easy hookup. And I'm not using that in any kind of judgmental kind of phrase. Mm. Um, But there's not and there's nothing else going on. So those people might not be a part of your life. And that's difficult for a lot of people to kind of realize I have to let all these people go and my world is going to change. It's not just, you know, never picking up a bottle again or a syringe or whatever happens to be. It's the mental changes that go with it and the, the cultural changes and the societal changes that go on in, in your little bubble. It That's quite scary for a lot of people. Like, you know, not picking up the, the bottle might be the easiest part of it, but it's all the other stuff and, and the changes that you have to make then is that can be really difficult for a lot of people and then throw sex into that you know one of our fundamental needs and wants and desires and and that yeah how do you how do you even start approaching all that fear of of that because we we know that that those changes would have to be made but they're they're pretty scary to make them is i think person me as me personally i'm stubborn i'm i'm very stubborn person and if if I do put my head into something, I will achieve it eventually, even if it's going to be as hard as, 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 you know, walking over glass. But I think one of the, my earliest like recovery talks where with other recovery people who were former fetish people, um, where I was told, well, you have to give it up. That's their experience. That was not my experience, but I did realize that, engaging with certain behaviors was just off limits there's certain things i couldn't do because it would send me give me a trigger um i remember going to the first fetish club um maybe in my first year uh, without drugs and i just made sure i had friends there i could approach if i struggled or i felt uncomfortable and what triggered me that night was standing in the queue for the toilets because he would do lines in the toilets and then my brain would go there. And that was really difficult. Um, so I think, especially in early recovery, is is important to have a safety net. It's important to be honest. And also, if it's not working, go home. That is, I think one of the biggest things I learned in, in, in recovery and learning becoming sober is if I'm not having a good time, I can actually just go home. I don't have to grin it and bear it and stay just because I bought a ticket. Never mind the money if the ticket had been expected. It doesn't really matter. Just go home. Yeah, it's, it's your, Keep yourself your, safe. Your peace is worth more than whatever price you paid to get into somewhere. So, yeah. Well, it, it's it's one of the things I realized, especially becoming sober, is when I was still drinking, when I was still using, I thought I was a social butterfly and I had to have people around me all the time. That was the only way I could function and I would get really itchy if I was just sitting at home all the time. Not that I don't get that sometimes, but especially this year uh, or 2020, um, sitting at home at all the time. But what I realized was actually the drugs and the alcohol was just masking the fact that is not me. I am actually quite introverted. I don't do crowds very well, uh, especially crowds where I don't know anyone. And that was really surprising when all of a sudden I stopped all that. And I was like, actually, I 
don't I don't mind sitting at home with a book on a Friday evening and that's fine. I'm perfectly okay with that. Before I was just like I would be sitting itching myself on a Friday night like, I'm not going out. Why am I not going out? This is not normal. Um so it's it's yes your world changes, but I would say it changed for a lot better. Yeah, and it definitely sounds like it's more authentic i suppose and where you're going just on the home thing you know i want to come back to what you're saying about authenticity but on the home part you know 2020 was a year where a lot of us began drinking a lot more at home and doing a lot more other things at home because we were in lockdown and you know like for some of us we just hit the booze because there's nothing else to do you know we were sick of zoom calls and watched all of Netflix um, and <laughs> but I remember like when you know I had COVID the start of the year and we were drinking a lot at home and I know I was drinking because I was really anxious I was like am I gonna die from this thing like what's going on and we mm. we drank a lot of wine like we had a lot of people dropping us over booze because we couldn't get out of the house um, and no, we have food as well like you know not just like an off-license delivery but I remember going to the um, the bottle bank and the queues outside it were like you know, you know, when people can't, the, the bottle banks are full, so they're just leaving it all on the ground. And it's like a sea yeah. of bottles just all around and everyone not making eye contact because we were all embarrassed that like we were caught in the act of bringing in all our bottles. And we couldn't get out to the um the bottle bank for a while and we were counting up all the bottles in the kitchen. And we were like, OK, that's actually like when you can see it there, when you know, when it's all gathering up, we were like, OK, that's actually a lot like we need to look at that. But I like I doubt that was a rare occurrence during lockdown because a lot of us were drinking and um I know we were talking before the podcast about how the off licenses had to stay open in Ireland because uh, there's a lot of like high functioning alcoholics or medium functioning alcoholics where you know we would have went into withdrawals if those off licenses had it closed but do you think that the the lockdown and then people's Obviously, you know, but maybe they weren't going out to the clubs and associating that kind of the rock and roll lifestyle with, you know, sex and, and substances. But they were doing that at home instead, but in slightly, obviously, quieter situations and stuff. Do you think that's still, um, did that change people's, you know, relationship with sex? Because it wasn't like, let's go out and meet strangers, like we're they may be doing the same amount of drugs, but you're doing them at home on your own or with whoever is in your little bubble. So do you think COVID kind of changed that aspect or did it make any difference? Do you think it's, that was a long question? Made it, Sorry, yeah, <laughs> that went I'll, on for I'll, a while. I'll try to. Um, <laughs> uh, no, do you know what? The whole, like, it's, I'm going to go back to the apps and the easy accessibility is if you get what went 10, 15 years back, it was much more going to the club and then you pick someone up and then you go home. Now you can skip the club and go directly to someone's flat and do drugs. Lockdown and COVID and having to stay at home and no clubs and so on has just meant that it's all of a sudden become valid because we don't have that accessibility. And some of the charity organizations I've talked with is it has exploded in lockdown and because of COVID. Um, but because you don't see it, you don't know it's there. And it's 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 funny, especially when when I talk to on occasion I talk to a straight person about drug taking, some of them would never make the connection to sex. Ever. And it's like, why? No, no, I, I do crystal meth so I can clean. That's what I do. Um, where for me it's that baffles me. Why would I clean when I could be romping around with hot men and da, 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 on crystal meth? But it, it's, yeah, lockdown has not been great. But that being said, the government has actually, um, there's one charity here in London called Control and Chemsex, which is a fairly new charity, but the government has just thrown money at it. They okay. know there's an issue. Yeah. So it, it's, it's, it's 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 a great thing they do. They have a presence on 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 the apps with like they're very very like big letters. We're not selling drugs. We're helping you if you have questions. Okay. <laughs> um, because the apps get a little bit weird when they hear the word chems and profile text and so on. And that's fine. They have an algorithm to kind of sort that out. But it's it's it 
it's just made it more valid because there's no clubs to go to go clubbing and so on, which is, and like someone going to a club doing a, an E and so on. Fine. That's okay. But all of a sudden being stuck at home with nothing to do. And there's a whole bunch of people furloughed and you're just kind of getting money, but you're not spending it. So what do you spend it on? Drugs and alcohol. It's just what it is. And it's, it's, I had this discussion at the, at the start of lockdown with another recovering addict and he was like, Oh my God, everyone's going to become alcoholics because they're sitting at home drinking all the time. It's like, no, they're not. They're not going to all, yes, the alcohol usage is probably going to go up and they're probably going to have an epiphany moment where they look at all the bottles like you just mentioned and go, maybe we should step it back a bit. But see, not everyone is born alcoholic. Not everyone is born to become an addict. And a lot of people have sensibility. Sometimes it becomes a bad habit. That doesn't make you an alcoholic. That doesn't make you an addict. It just becomes a bad habit. And sometimes bad habits are hard to break. But it's a it's about having that clarity and kind of having that moment. If that means seeing the 10 wine bottles over a week, realizing actually that's not great. Most people are that sensible. It's just that small fraction of people where they don't see the alarm bells. I'm definitely one of those people. If you'd asked me 10 years ago, if I would be a recovering addict now, I would have said no. And I have a very weird relationship with alcohol anyways. And it, I was really angry about that in early recovery because I had a very set view on what an alcoholic was. It's a weak-willed person. It's not. It's just something that's out of your control. And I had to learn that the hard way. And I had to forgive some of the people in my past where I was angry with them and the, their behaviors because I was like, oh, God, I can relate. And that's a really hard thing to admit when it comes to stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so much we're still, I suppose, learning about, you know, the psychology of alcoholics and, and the brain makeups and trauma and all these kind of things. So it's never as simple as we're just a bit bored. We're overdoing it in, in lockdown this week. There's a lot more to it than that. So, um, but definitely good to have that conversation. I suppose raised a bit more because I think, you know, it might have made a little few more people maybe assess their their situation so they may not be alcoholics or have problems with alcohol but they may always or whatever choice of drugs but they may their their sex lives may involve a substance a lot more than mm. you think and maybe it, you know like you were saying you were going out partying and, and everything else but for a lot of other people it might just be not almost coincidence, but like you happen to be meet drinking and then you happen to meet someone and you go out. They haven't necessarily gone out looking for sex or yeah. gone out looking to, you know, get drunk. Or maybe you're sitting at home and you're a couple of glasses of wine in with your partner and you're like, oh, I'm kind of feeling a bit horny now. And then you have sex. So, you know, which is good for lots of things, but also on the same side that we might realize there's a lot of people out there who have very rarely had sober sex because it's always accompanied by some sort of substance and it doesn't have to be a hardcore it can just be like that couple of glasses of wine to give you that little bit of courage or you know and even the way that we say it like dutch courage you know to come out on on, on dates and stuff but yeah that i i think again do you think that that's linked to that fear of intimacy because sex is something that a lot of people have a lot of issues around because we've really bad sex education we've histories of trauma we've you know it, it's a difficult thing to ask for pleasure for a lot of people and intimacy is scary because it's not you know it's judged and stigmatized for so many people it's it's just not left alone <laughs> for some people so do you think that that fear of intimacy is helped or hindered then with with the substances going hand in hand with it like how do we break free of that and, and kind of embrace the fear i i would say like if if you feel a bit frisky after two glasses of wine with your partner. That's fine. That's, it's just what it is. And it makes you a little bit relaxed and so on. As someone that's a recovering addict, I just don't have that choice. It's, it's just a no go for me because it just leads me all sorts of bad places. But if most people kind of just sat down and thought about it, it's like, when did I have sex without any stimulants? I think a lot of people would be shocked 
Um, and I, I had this question in the end of my using someone, a friend of mine kind of was like, when did you have sober sex last? And I was just like, well, maybe five years ago. I said a very nonchalant about it. Didn't really think about it. And he was, you could see the shock in his face. I was like, oh, it's the most normal thing in the world. Since then, I thought about it. I must admit, I probably never really had proper sober sex. There was probably always some sort of stimulants. I think you have to go back to maybe when I was 18 without stimulants. Um, and because it's always like, especially in gay culture, you go to the pub, you get a bit drunk, and then you go home with someone. So that's alcohol involved. And then maybe they have something at home you take and stuff like that. So all of a sudden, cutting that out and that Dutch courage, all of a sudden it's like, oh, I just have to be me. What is me? <laughs> I always kind of describe my addiction as my uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I didn't necessarily like my addiction. It brought me to some very dark places. But I also kind of have to admit that some of those dark places are already there. The drugs just makes it a bit less terrifying to do those type of things, especially as a fetish man. I like certain things like BDSM, stuff like that. It is, I would say sometimes it comes really natural if you have good chemistry, but in most cases it is performance angst. Um, I've definitely certain rules around meeting up with guys is don't make too many plans because that will make me anxious and that will just end up me canceling because, and that's even free, free and bit years in, there's just certain things that can cause me anxiety around performance. Um, and that's okay. I just know where my trigger point is. If they start making a list of, I want this, 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 and this, I was like, mm, no, mm -mm. It's, I, I just can't do that. Just thinking about it now can Getting bring stressed. up emotions yeah. about it. Um, but I suppose that that's a good sign because you're able to identify that and go, no, this this is not where I want to be and this isn't working for me. Whereas if you maybe had substances, you might be like, right, okay, I feel a bit uncomfortable, but I'm going to go along with it. But because, you know, you're now sober, you can say, actually, no, this is not for me. So your communication skills, which a lot of people would struggle with, especially to do a kink and fetish and, and you know, maybe the darker side of human sexuality, but, you know, things that need a little bit of kind of looking at. Um, that can, you know, you need to kind of have your wits about you sometimes if you're negotiating scenes and, and scenes that may cause a lot of, you know, if you're, if you're like and I'm thinking of the word harm but that's the wrong word um but if, you know if you're into kink and you're using force and um or even you know things that are like are you know breath play like doing that safely when you've had substances and you can't communicate properly I mean you're, you're kind of walking a dangerous path like that and, and not being able to mind yourself absolutely and it's it's, it's all about guidelines and safe words and kind of of as I mentioned, I don't particularly like too many plans because it can cause me anxiety, but there is like the small grounding things like safe words and stuff like that. That is like a must to have at least or some some way of tapping out if it's something quite on the more um, rough side, if you could say. Um, but yeah, it, it, even in early recovery, how many of us have been in a situation where you just felt because you kind of set it up to be something it shouldn't, you set it up to be something, but when you get there, you just feel slightly uncomfortable, but you feel bad to say no. I've definitely had sex with people afterwards where I felt like shit because I just should have said no because the chemistry wasn't there, but I just wasn't confident enough to go, actually, this is not, this is not working for me because I was more concerned about their feelings and, and less about my own. Um, and that I definitely had that experience in early recovery where I had fun with this guy, but he just kept poking at certain things in my recovery and about substance taking where, because I just wanted to have some connection and so on, I let him and it made me feel, I felt 
I felt out of sorts for three days afterwards because my mental health was just affected by it. Um, and I just figured out that being dominated by someone, especially in early recovery, no, 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 I shouldn't be doing that because that is not good for my mental health, especially with someone I've never met before. Yeah, um, I need to build up that trust. Yeah. yeah, the vulnerability aspect of that is is huge of, you know, you're deciding what you're okay with and what you're not. And, you know, you're doing this in real time with people that you may or may not know on a very intimate or, you know, long-term basis. So that's, that's you know, about protecting yourself. But you mightn't have done that if you were using substances. You you might, like you said, you went along with things. So we may have had sex that we technically, yeah, we consented to, but we actually probably wouldn't have if we were being sober. And we may regret it in the morning. Not And it's not, we're not necessarily viewing it as sexual assault, but it's just sex that we would have said no to if if we had been sober oh i've i've had instances where and <laughs> I, I don't seem to uh, seem to say this very nonchalant but i probably have been sexually assaulted i just don't know um i have passed out before um i've been lucky enough the one instance where i actually remember it or i don't remember it but i'm still friends with one of the people who are a part of that session where he took care of me, like took me out of the session, put me in the shower to cool me down and then put me in bed. But the other part, there was like, I think we were like four people. One of the guys there wanted to keep going. He was high, so he has no blame. I'm not blaming him. You you do things when you're high, especially that high. Um, uh, it was on GHB and you really lose your inhibitions on that and you just don't think things through. Um, yeah, he could have raped me. I wouldn't have known. I would have been none the wiser about it. Um, I don't blame him for it. It's just what it is. But it's it's something I have to come to terms with. And 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 you kind of also think like, what have I done where the consent might have been in question as well? Um, it's just something you kind of just have to sit with. And just go. You're not to blame, but you also have to learn from it and and that's one of the reasons i go on podcasts like this is to kind of go yes some of it is dark some of it it's very upsetting but if you take something that's so negative in your life and try to turn it to some positive that you don't have to do what i'm doing is yelling in from a rooftop but it for me when i get a message from someone who's still using but has either read one of my articles or has listened to some of my YouTube channel or a podcast like this um, and kind of go, I'm not quite ready, ready yet, but you give me hope. Do you know what? That makes it so much worth it. I've had several instances of that happening. That must be such a lovely feeling because it's, you know, you're not doing something like ordering photocopy or toner or something like that like you're doing something that has the potential to really transform people's lives and I am so grateful for you for coming on and talking about it because this is something that a lot of people might bury that inside and not you know not engage with it like you said like the fact that you're going I may have assaulted someone when I was high that's an extremely difficult thing to admit to yourself like even on a, a, a you know saying that out loud and saying that to a stranger that you've done that is you know that that's terrifying for a lot of people but you don't move on you know if you're not addressing all this kind of stuff and, and looking at it with a harsh lens of, of going this is what the reality was you can't look back with rose tinted glasses you know sometimes and but you're saying that, yeah, like, I just think, you know, the conversations about blackouts and stuff and, you know, not knowing what goes on and we can't really protect ourselves in that way. But if you're thinking about if you have a picture in your head about what good, in inverted commas, sex is, it's, you know, being present and being, you know, engaged in mutual pleasure, being vulnerable and, and being, you know, very much like wrapped up in each other blacking out and not being conscious of what you're doing to each other and not even talking to each other about what do you want what are your desires and everything else that's not what you envision to be as good sex good healthy you know like satisfying sex you know like that being present is again scary but 
worlds away from the blackout out of control kind of stuff yeah it's 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 a hard topic and it's 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 something i sometimes still struggle a little bit with um both being the victim and the the perpetrator if you could say um and and some of the damage that comes from that um i have acquaintances where they've been in a scene where they've just been so high where they don't notice that they're getting hurt especially around ass play and stuff like that and and where now some of them have colostomy bags because of that and i'm really lucky that i got out unscathed i don't have ma- i don't have track marks on my arms I I've seen people where they're still using and they have open sores on their arms and they just can't see that that is a problem. There was a point where I would probably ignore that fact because they had drugs. So it's fine. Um, Looking back now, I just see someone so clouded for what's going on around them. Um, And it's, it's just about, it's about having that, quiet moment where you realize there's an issue it takes times for someone and sometimes it comes really quickly i've met people who only used for eight months and they realize it was an issue and now in recovery some people it takes a lifetime and there's no judgment in that either no not at all you know like and you may never get to the point that you want but maybe you're working on it and that's that's all you can do you know that's you have to meet people where they are i'm not naive to the fact that I'm only 36. I might stumble. You never know. I might get to a dark place where I feel actually I know how to get rid of that. I've definitely the, the thought has crossed my mind in lockdown quite a lot. Um, not to the extent where I would action anything, uh, more to the extent I'm going to grab a phone and call someone and just talk it out. Because I find the more I talk about it, the less power it has. Um, and there's no shame in in having that idea pop into my head. I definitely get um, like in in March last year when it was everything was so uncertain and how ill am I going to get? I'm an asthmatic or all this. I was very anxious and I would get a lot of using dreams. I know what that is. It's just my body going, okay, he's really stressed. I'm going to alleviate some of that stress. Let's give him some wet dreams about drug taking. I knew what that was. Like that's what you did before. That's yeah, you know, your muscle memory almost in in one sense, you know. Yeah, and and you know what? Fine. If if I can use drugs in my dreams and not do it in (laughs) real life, who cares? Brilliant. Then I don't have to do it in real life and I just do it in virtual reality instead. (laughs) That's one way to do it. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. definitely. So what advice would you give to someone who's kind of, again, you know, we're in the middle of dry January and people are trying to reassess where they're going with alcohol or drugs or whichever it happens to be and looking at, you know, the sex side of things, which is very difficult again, you know, for a lot of people. But what steps can people take to, to kind of go, okay, um, I might actually make this, extend this out a little bit beyond January. And even if it's only three days into February, happy days, you've still done a little bit more than what you might have done. Um, but are there specific resources? I know you do a lot of work in this area. Like you said, you've got your YouTube mm. channel as well. Um, but are there kind of great resources that you would recommend for people to just kind of check out to, to reassess and that would be shame-free and stigma-free? I would say at least if we're talking about Facebook um, and we're talking dry January, there are a couple of uh, pages called Club Soda, play on words, um, but they're really, really good. It's uh, I think it's mainly LGBTQ plus orientated, but there's all sorts of people in there and it's all sorts of recovery time. It's, it's, not, it's not 12 step. It's just kind of gone okay i i screwed up this week i had a glass of wine you write a little bit about that and the amount of support people get in there it's it's quite quite beautiful and there's no judgment so i can warmly suggest club soda on facebook they're easy to find um of course my own group for at least for the fetish folk um uh, real clear fetish which is 
just a, it's also non 12 step, but of course, 12 step folk is also welcome. Um, it's very non judgmental and it's also kind of just bring your own issues. At the moment, it's mainly for gay and trans men and bisexual queer men um, because it's more about the round chem sex than anything, which is not necessarily only us, but it is primarily where it sits. Um, of course, 12 steps, good. Smart recovery is good. Um, whatever works for you. Um, local charities, there's so many local charities. Here in London, we have London Friend. We have Dean Street. Um, as I mentioned, controlling chemsex, but they also have an online presence. Um, your GP it's yeah, a good start. We always forget it's, about that, don't we? Yeah. It's it's a hard conversation to have with your GP, especially if someone you've maybe been going to for years and kind of going, I have an issue here. And it's all of a sudden that you have to be personal with someone where you might keep it less personal with someone. But I think my biggest advice is just to be honest. Be as honest as you feel comfortable to be. And if that mean also having a confidant in a friend, that's so important. Having someone you can talk to as a friend or sometimes a stranger on the internet. That, that's hugely, yeah, because that person doesn't know you. They're, they're not going to judge you for saying, well, sure, like, you know, we used to go out and hang out. Are you not going to be fun now? Or whatever happens to be the fact that you can actually just meet a stranger who doesn't know you and your home set up and all the rest and stuff. It can That can be really nice. and um a little bit more accessible almost to some people because it's less scary then because you're not you know talking to a friend kind of thing so um not that yeah you know friends are great but it's nice to have that little bit of distance it's it's that it's that fear of judgment or lack of understandings yeah i a couple years back uh when i was still drinking and someone said to me they didn't drink i was a proper dick about it uh it's like oh that's not normal blah 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 typical one you would get i'm I'm sure you get that in uh, ireland as this, well yeah very uh cool. if you said you weren't drinking it's like are you well yeah. what anti- antibiotics <laughs> um, are you on yeah yeah it's t- that type of thing yeah. and i i i fully get it i i'm now on both sides of that fence i fully get why people react weirdly to that but it, it it's just about finding someone and that's why talking to other recovery people, even if you're not ready to say that you need recovery, helps because it's that whole understanding. It's like, that's why gay men go, uh, attract to other gay men because we have the same language. It's, 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 it's just that like, meeting in the middle and kind of going, oh, me too. Yeah, without having to explain all the background and stuff like that yeah Yeah. I love the work that you're doing where like you're saying that you couldn't have sex for a couple of years or you know enjoy fetish and stuff but you're you know you're at a really healthy place now and I love that you know people can look at that and go okay so this might be you know I might give it a break for a while but I can come back to it and I can Mm. control my relationship with sex and how I have sex and who I have sex with and you know the standards might be a little bit higher than by the time you're ready to come back and and you know engage with people who are going to respect where you are and and who you are as a person so I think that's really nice to have a person like yourself out there saying that of going you know your life isn't over your sex life isn't over once you get sober you know you still have amazing sex afterwards yeah, it's it's especially in in early recovery, especially when it's connected to chemsex as as strongly as it was with me, is it's gonna you have to be okay with stepping away from it as well, if it is so connected to it, and if you just can't be without the sex, maybe find someone where just rely to relate to them. It's like, well, I can't do it with this. Can you just be supportive and? If we do try to have sex and it goes wrong and I freak out, be okay with that. Sometimes that can be a great, it's like, as, as you say, sex is natural. It's healthy. It's, it's, it's a part of being human. Um, it's just about putting boundaries in and safety nets and being honest with the person you're going to have sex with. And yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, if you could say to someone, it's like, I might freak out. And they are okay with that. 
keep a hold of them because they're a good sex partner right there and that's the kind we like so yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely because i've definitely been in situations where it's like i can't do this and some people understand and some people don't and it's the people that understand you kind of have to keep a hold of absolutely absolutely um, this has been fascinating, Ralph, and I know, you know, we're going to have you back on at some point because there's a lot more to this. And I think that it'd be nice, um, you know, to look at this in a little bit more detail, maybe about the chem sex part of things as such. But um, for now, we leave it at that and hope people are reflecting in, in sober January and seeing where they go with that. But um, where can people find you if they want to reach out and say ho- hello or follow along with your work? I am on Twitter under Real Clear Fetish um i'm also on email so that would be realclearfetish at gmail.com uh, i'm on instagram real clear fetish youtube real clear fetish okay um yeah i'm You've i'm kind of username everywhere i well yeah it's 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 real clear fetish clear head clear fetish absolutely and you have a really amazing um instagram lives as well where you're chatting to people and again absolutely it's lovely and accessible for a lot of people that you don't have to go to a meeting or find somewhere you can just you know switch on your phone and go to instagram so and and all those episodes are on my youtube channel now so people can watch them at their leisure brilliant yeah even better happy days um brilliant listen thank you so much for for the chat and you know this has been very educational and you know i think a massive conversation to kind of have but at least this is a nice start to it so yeah i really appreciate your time absolutely thank you thank you for having me on and thanks a mil to all my listeners as well you know i hope um sober january is kind of or dry january as we're calling it um you know is kind of working out well so far i know we're not even in the first week yet but let's see kind of how we go and see what we can learn and bring that into our sex lives as well so um as i said the top of the hour you can rate and review on apple we're on twitter and instagram at glow west podcast if you want to support the podcast it's patreon.com forward slash tortoise and i'll chat to you next week